Hey, this is Bobby Gustafson from Satan's Taint, and you are listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Brutally Delicious! His name is Bobby? Yeah. Gustafson. Okay. The name of his band is Satan's Taint, which is a great name just to begin with. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was an overkill for years, and then there was some sort of this disgruntledness or whatever and but he's actually uh he just did the voice for david ellison's book from megadeth oh wow i've been doing a bunch of research yeah i've been doing a bunch of research his they recorded the record at the power station in new york really i mean that's a big deal to yeah that it's not the power station anymore though it's um avatar no or maybe not, it went back no it's not avatar anymore either it's um it's the same room it's the same everything but um What's that music school? Berkeley. Oh, they took it over? They took it over, yeah. So here's a funny quick story, and then I'm going to go make a hamburger before we uh, we start uh, the next one. But oh, that sounds good. I got Rory a, his gig at the uh, power station 25, 30 years ago. Were you working, so I was working at? I was working at the Hit Factory. Fuck me. For I mean, that's where I started at the Hit Factory, and then I went over the soundtrack, and I was – Assisting and then eventually engineering for all that rap stuff that it did back in the eighties and yeah. late I mean early late eighties, early nineties. And they called me from the power station and they're like, Hey, do you want to come work here? And I had just started getting some engineering stuff with uh, Bernard Bell, who did like Michael Jackson and some other stuff. And I was like, Shit, it's the power station. It's definitely a, a bigger name than soundtrack, but I finally got like my little foot in the door. Yeah. So I called up Rory, who was actually my assistant and also he was sort of an intern at the front desk and whatever. And uh, I know he had had experience going to school at I don't know some audio school or whatever. Yeah. And he got in there and man, he took off. He ended up working with like you know some of the best of the best, like Aerosmith and ACDC and Maiden. Oh yeah. Well, one day, he call, one day he called me from Paris and he's like, "I'm fucking working with Maiden." I go, "Get the hell out of here!" <laughs> and he's like, "No, I'm serious." And the next day, via Federal Express from uh, from Paris, I got this signed bass drum head by everybody in the band that's hanging in my studio out back. <laughs> And I'm like, fuck, fuck, I'm the metalhead, dude. I'm the guy who should be working with all that shit. And I'm doing, you know, cool mode or some bull crap. But <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of didn't work out as planned, but it, it all it is what it is. Oh, man, that's a fuck cool story. Those rooms, yeah. those rooms are so iconic, man. Yeah. You know what? The hit factory, those rooms are amazing. And now it's condos. Did you see? Dude, I was there... I used to work in the room that. John Lennon had his 8068 in, and they had pictures of him all over the walls. I mean, that's where him used to record all his stuff. Fuck. And th- th- do you see they're selling those condos? Like, you know, I-, I think they even put like a music studio in the in the basement to try. Yeah. And- I was just like, this is bullshit. Yeah. It should have those- been named a historic building, really. Oh, I think so. And those buildings, that basement used to have the old plates like before there was all that digital stuff, we used to have to go down there and fucking tune those <laughs> massive plates that hung like off the chains from the ceiling yeah, in the yeah. basement. The old EMTs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Which EMT was it? Do you know? I don't even remember anymore, but I was an intern at the time. And they used to have to go down there and help the techs, you know, tune them or do whatever they had to do. Yeah. But just... they had a whole room in the basement. It was probably like six or seven of them hanging. Fuck. Amazing. Man, yep, that was a nice place. Oh yeah, it's it's I I miss big room recording. I really do. There's something special about sitting in a in a room that is like 
you go to it and it's made just for that purpose and has a history like you're sitting in the same spot that you know like Bob oh, Claremont yeah. and Satin or or any of those guys, Tom Lord Algae or any of those guys would be like, holy fuck. Yeah, that's the same as it feels when you go into Little Mountain in Vancouver. You walk in. I imagine. You walk in and you're like, holy fuck, this is where Bob Rock used to make coffee for Bruce Fairburn. Right. It's you like know? holy ground. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like Bob Rock, he was a freaking rock star. He was in the Paolas, huge ass fucking band in Canada. And he wanted to be a recording engineer. They started him off making coffee and cleaning toilets. He's like, yep. I'm a fucking rock star. They're like, yeah, but you got to learn. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. Luckily, luckily, I know a bunch of people that went to like all these schools and did whatever. I just got a job as an intern straight out of high school and ended up working at the hit factory. And I mean, we were cleaning Troy's. He'd bring his Ferrari into the freight elevator like once a week. And it was like me and three guys. I'm like, how the fuck am I learning about audio here? And he's like, hey, you missed a spot on the rim there. <laughs> what the hell, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta. I guess you gotta pay your dues somehow, and they know it and they take advantage of it, and it is what it is. Yeah, it's not like that anymore. Now that we have stuff like my room here, you know, people don't want to do interning anymore. No, there, there, there's actually. I, I fear that there's going to be a huge loss in the audio engineering art form yeah. uh, coming up because there's, you know, there tends to be like people go to school for audio, but generally speaking, the most successful people might go to school, but they don't really learn what they need, like how to be an engineer until they're out and they start working with someone that is. Like Michael Beinhorn when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and there's going to be a huge loss in the art firm. Who knows? Maybe, it, maybe it'll be a positive thing. Maybe something new will come out about it. But for me personally, like I, I, I came up and... I had a recording place at my house. I didn't know what to do. Like a little digital eight track or whatever. And then I met my friend Ken, who you know, who, who, yeah. who is part of the 70K crew now. <clears throat> and Ken is a really successful engineer. Super successful. Tons of gold records. Been nominated for a Grammy, the whole Kit right. Kat and Caboodle. And he brought me in. And the first thing I had to do, make coffee. Yep. And then and then he brought me into the studio and he showed me, okay, this is an old API. Let's take a look at this is a split console. You know, here's how it works. But if you run right. it in this way, it sounds totally different than if you run it in this way. And right. you, even though the theory says to do this, you don't necessarily have to. And and then he taught me about mics and you know, we had like classic microphones, classic Neumanns and you know Yeah. So, there's a C twelve at the studio, a C twelve A, worth about twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, the Hit Factory had like a whole closet of U47s with the old power supplies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those mics, though, you know, some days they sound good. Some days they don't. You never know what they're going to sound yeah. like. <laughs> I yep. love people that say, man, I always use a U47. My question is, which one? <laughs> right. Every day it's and they have different. to warm up in the room and they have to get conditioned to the room and all kinds of weird shit. But, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, But uh, when they're on, they're on. I mean, I remember oh, doing yeah. a Paul, I was doing a Paul Simon Rhythm of the Saints I was one an intern on that thing, and that was his go-to mic, and he had to. So when I say inter- just stop, no. stop. So you worked on Rhythm of the Saints. Yeah, as an intern, I used to have. Do you watch Seinfeld at all? Yeah. All right. So here's a funny story. Remember they went to the soup Nazi. Yeah. So that guy is real, and when I was working on the Paul Simon sessions, besides setting up and doing all the stupid shit that I had to do every day, I had to get out and go do, um, go to the 
soup Nazi guy at Stand Online for Paul Simon, and I forgot who his engineer was at the time. But then they also did Lady Smith Black Mombasa, I think it was called. Okay. And it, so that was like the the choir that he had, but he also did produce them as well, and we did a whole bunch of shit with them. But yeah, I worked with him as the intern for I don't know however long that record was. My God. Well, I actually, I actually moved. This is a funny story. The first story I ever, I mean, the first thing I ever did at the Hit Factory, I get the job on like a Friday. Like, hey, come on in. We'll see you Monday. Monday, I get there. Lady gives me some money for a cab. She's like, I need you to go to this address. I just help the guy out with whatever he needs to do. I'm like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. So I jump in the cab. I go up to Central Park West somewhere and I get out and I walk up the steps and it's fucking Donald Fagan. <laughs> <laughs> and he's standing in front of a U-Haul, like on a on a He's like, "Hey, I just need help moving, and I'm renting this apartment while I'm doing the record at the Hit Factory." And they just sent a couple interns up there, and there we are, like moving furniture for Donald Fagan. <laughs> 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 I think awesome. his engineer was like Gary Katz back in the day. My God, so much history in New York with music—it's not even funny. Like, oh yeah, my God, hello. Hey, Chris, there you are. Chris, meet Bobby, Bobby, Chris. Hey, Bobby, how you doing, man? First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time because I'm going to date myself, but I'm an old school fan back from Lemoore in like the early 80s. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. I grew up going to Lemoore. I'm from Valley Stream out on Long Island, but grew up going to Lemoore. So you guys all the time there. I, I, uh, I used to jam with a couple guys from Valley Stream after Overkill. Really? Yeah. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Garden City. Yeah, I lived right by that Valley Stream Mall there, the Green Acres Mall. Ah, uh, we used to go to the smoke shop all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, nice to finally meet you. It's very cool. Same here, man. You want us to take the lead? No, I'll let you go. Uh, I'm going to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, just uh -oh. before I let you go, because I, I can see you're drooling a little. Um, I, I'm in this podcast. I got involved in this podcast because... I'm not as versed in the world of metal as Bruce is. And it's kind of a recent discovery for me, like maybe over the last five or six years, seven years. And this podcast is really ex exposing me to a lot of great fucking music. <laughs> so, okay, Bruce, you're good to go. So uh, I guess let's start with, uh, I have a list of questions, but let's start with uh, Satan's Taint. How long has that been, you know, your project and how did it come about? Um, I started about 2014, just talking to kids on Facebook all the time. And, you know, they wanted to hear new music. They're like, why don't you get back into it again? And, and, uh, you know, just being pushed from, from the old fans. They're like, I really want to hear the old style stuff. And, you know, you shouldn't be sitting around doing nothing. So I had some material left over. I put it together, did a couple songs, grabbed a couple friends and put it together. We put it out on TuneCore, but it really didn't go anywhere. So, uh. We said, well, let's take them songs back. I'll write five new ones. We did five new ones and put them together and basically made the first full CD. And then okay. we manufactured ourselves and, and released it. You know, not knowing that it was going to really take off. It was just, you know, I figured a few Facebook friends and some fans and that was it. But it, it took off really well and got us to the point where, you know, we got the interest from Megaforce again. Right. I, I think it's really cool because people like me, I mean, we're hardcore fans. And I mean, the minute I got the email from, I think it's Jamie, who your press guy is, yeah. I was like, shit, I want on that right away because I remember seeing them, you know, back before Feel the Fire. So I'm totally, totally a fan. 
that's the same thing with some of the, some of the other people that they're just not hearing the music that they want from some of these newer bands and younger bands, and 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 they really wanted the, the stuff that they grew up on. The old school fans like me, I mean, like you said, we're we're itching to hear some of the stuff we grew up on, especially. I mean, I'm so connected to that Lamore era, that whole mm -hmm. thrashy, punky sort of thing. So it's really cool. And I guess you're having that reaction from your fans as well, right? Yeah. Uh, they, you know, like you said, they just wanted to, I guess, reminisce or something. And, and, and they really weren't satisfied with maybe some of the bands that are out now that just don't capture that, that old school feel. And, you know, I had a bunch of material left over that I never got to use. I held on to, so I wound up going back grabbing some of the old style stuff and, and giving it some of the new twists. And, and, uh, and I, I think you really came up with something really good on the, on the second one. The first one's been out now for about two, two years, I think already. Right. So you were out of the business for a while. I know you did a couple things like the cycle slots and some other things in and, in and through, but I mean, how did it feel to finally get back into doing this and, you know, getting like the response you're getting? Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, especially to go back to Megaforce, which was where, where it all began. I mean, it's a different, it's a different label now with, with, uh, Missy Colazzo owning it than, than we have with John and, and Marsha. Right. But, um, you know, she's excited about it. I'm excited about it. The material, when it was coming together, we just like me and my drummer, you know, I had this stuff written and I'd come down and show him and we'd rehearse it. And I mean, we did everything like real quick but we realized it's like wow even the guys in the studio at the power station were like you know we can't pick a favorite song it's like every time you do a new song it's like our our new favorite song I right. said, we said the same thing when we were putting it together it's like we couldn't nail it down and it's just one of those things where everything like just re went really well and, and uh and we're excited about it so i just think that this one's gonna really satisfy the old the old fans, if that's what they were looking for, they definitely have the old sort of, you know, the old overkill me, I guess you would say. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's de definitely overkill you, but still, you know, you in the, in the present day as well. Cause I think you've separated from them. How did you get yeah. into the power station though? That's a pretty big uh, place to do the record. Yeah, actually I had a friend who, who did some AC work, a drummer friend of mine. And, and uh, I mean, he's just a, a great guy and he's like, look, don't even, you know, don't even pay me. Uh, when we had a problem with the first CD, one of the, uh, one of the bits got chopped from the first uh, studio, mm -hmm. and uh, he didn't he didn't want to fix it. So my friend George knew about it. And he's like, "Look, I'll fix your your AC. Go and fix Bobby's song for nothing." So, <laughs> oh, that's he, awesome! He, they fixed the song in about five minutes. I mean, I had two weeks of arguing with the other engineer that he screwed it up, and he said he didn't. So they straightened it out. And uh, it came out great. So then we just had a, a good relationship with them. And I said, look, I says, I'm probably going to write another CD. And I said, when I do, I promise to come back here. And they were real excited about it. And, and uh, they were more than happy to do it with us. That's awesome. I was excited because it, to me, I like, I like to record the old way with a big board. You set up, <laughs> you play. And that's what I think gave the first CD its kind of raw old style edge is that that's the way we were doing it it's not like you played the riff once and just had the computer repeat it right i mean we we went in and nailed it i mean jim did his drums in two days wow like all all the songs and i did the, my rhythm 
guitar tracks, like 48 tracks of guitar, like in two days. Holy shit. Wow. Uh, we just went in and, and, and nailed it. And then, uh, you know, it, it just has that old, that old school feel. So Chris and I have this, uh, Chris, I promise I'll let you talk here That's in a cool. second. I'm hogging all there, but Chris and I have this conversation with a lot of the artists that we talked to on the show. And, um, I always lean towards what you just said, doing it the old school way, banging it off each other in the, in the room on the front of the big boards. And I think it makes yeah. it sound so much more immediate and organic and it's, it's just great. It's yeah. And then the, the, the newer bands that, that don't do that, it, it sounds sterile. It sounds, it sounds too, it's just unnatural sounding. And, and the stuff you grew up on was done that way because we used to have to record it on two inch tape and you really couldn't punch in. If you made a mistake, you had to do the song over. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, I remember doing it over and over and over with Rat. Just, you know, if there was a little mistake or something here and there and started with the drums and then you build it up, you do the bass and you do the guitar. And, you know, it, it just it has a better feel than just putting it straight into the computer. And then a right. lot of these guys, when they go out and they try and perform those songs, it doesn't come off the right way either. You can't you can't create it that way. You still have to get in a room and sweat it out with the guys and, and work the parts out. Amazing. Right. What was it like Thanks being, what was it like being in the power station? Like it was from great a, from a historical point of view. Like, did you feel like the vibe of what that room is or? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we went, when we did, we fixed the first CD, he had a smaller board and he showed me the new board that he was going to have. And that's part of the reason why we went back. He he literally had to knock down a wall to get it in the control room. <laughs> and nice. it's like, it takes up the whole room from one side to the other. He had to move a doorway just so you can get in there. So they had this, you know, this great control room. The engineer was phenomenal. It was like, you know, he was on top of everything real quick and just being a part and looking up and seeing, you know, uh, it's part owner is, is, uh, John Bon Jovi's, um, right. I believe it is. Yeah, Tony. So, yeah, right. I mean, there's some Bon Jovi albums up, and there's an Ozzy album and a Stevie Ray Vaughan Gold album, and you know, you're just sitting around, it's like thinking all the great people that have gone through Power Station. So, but um, the final was final result is 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 just amazing. It just sounds so, it's so thick and so big, and uh, it's exactly you know what we were trying to go for. It's, it's awesome. such it's such a cool looking room too. Like the vibe in there must have been just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I I love the studio. I was probably like one of the few guys that that really enjoyed being in the studio more than anything else. <laughs> and uh, you know, we put the we put the hours in too. I mean, twelve hour days and stuff like that too. I mean, we not we banged it out quick, but we did a lot of a lot of work on it. Now, did you record? Did you record a tape, or did you record the Pro Tools? What did you record to? No, he called, they uh, they had a tape machine, but no one really does that anymore. And it's just safer to be on the computer, just in case something happens. And then, like yeah. even the old days, like the stuff that we did on the tapes, it's it's kind of deteriorating by now. It's it's not getting sure. not getting full quality. So at least with the stuff being digital, you know, we can save it. And it's and it's kind of there forever, so it's a little better. And yeah. I, you know, I embraced it. I embraced when we went from making the vinyl album to the CD. I mean, we were we went through that transition page, uh, uh, page from from the second to third album. Right. Yeah. Is when it, when it really kicked in, which was like eighty seven ish. Yeah. 
I remember then. I remember when CDs first started coming out and they were like 25 bucks. I was just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And but now they're I extinct. Like yeah, I know. How do you, how do you like feel it. about the whole streaming revolution? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it's definitely a way to get, get it out there a lot easier, a lot quicker. You know, I think musicians have a little bit more control over, you know, where their songs go before you were pretty much at the mercy of the label and, and whoever they had sent it to. Um, the only thing I don't kind of like is I don't think that, you know, it's kind of new for me, but I'm hearing all the rumors that they don't pay their artists as much as they should be. And a lot of people are, you know, frustrated with it, but I mean, that's the, the mega stars that are getting, you know, these tons and tons of streams. Right. You know, we're on the lower end of the, the spectrum. So for us, it's kind of like, it just makes it more convenient. A lot of people, you know, the first CD we did was strictly CD and we handled it all ourselves. We mailed them out and everything. And a lot of people wanted it online. And I says, well, I'll, you know, I'm not going to be making as much money to record another album if we do it that way. Right. So, uh, you know, they agreed. They said, okay, you know, we'll buy it. So we, we've made some CDs for the new one, but it's going to be available. Missy had set it up for the, the streaming and, and uh, downloading all, and all that stuff. So that's kind of like the first for me. Right. A lot of your fans probably still buy the CD, though, especially when you're touring, I would imagine. Well, they do, yeah, because I asked her about that, and she says, you know, it's the older fans that actually still embrace the CD, because she says, like, Anthrax would sell more CDs, and her other band, Third Eye Blind, is more the younger kids, and they do all the streaming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because people like me want the physical, I want the physical thing. I want to go through the liner notes and and do all that, where it was recorded, you know, who they're thanking, all that shit. Yep, I made a point of, of of having the booklet and and getting the lyrics on there and making sure because to me that was the best part too is you know going from either the, the album with the big dust sleeve or at least having the booklet and seeing some pictures or the lyrics at least right more of a connection I think yeah you need something tangible you know to feel that connection I I, I actually miss liner notes I, I I prefer like the new way of of taking in music but like. I would have never learned about studios like the Power Station or Little Mountain Sound or um, Sound City if if it wasn't in the liner notes. I wouldn't have learned who my favorite producers are or engineers or yeah, you know, I wouldn't yeah. have learned any of that stuff. And now with the internet and stuff, you know, you're 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 looking at these things and you're looking at the studios where the person went to record, you know, and you're finding out that. You know, this producer or that producer has done all these other albums too that maybe you didn't know about, and it's just like you're discovering and you're feeling a, a better connection to what the band was actually, you know, doing. And then for us now, it's like you know, we take we take pictures of us working in the studio or putting stuff together at practice, and and we send them out. Nice, yeah. You know, you never really had that connection before. Everything was paper. In the day, you had a paper magazine, so you know, had months, yeah, Circus. months and months later, that stuff would come out that you actually did. Right and now, it's just instant. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it plays into the streaming. People like everything right, right away, away. Or exactly when they want it. Yeah, it's it. I I agree. Technology is really changing the way 
we we consume things. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like I I personally prefer it, but one thing I miss is that like kind of anticipation for something. You know, um, mm-hmm. that that you had before the instant gratification came came around. You like like maybe there's a new album coming out. And you're like, oh my god, I can't wait for this to come out, and then. Mm-hmm. You keep hearing about it, you keep hearing about it, you keep hearing about it, and you're just getting psyched, and then Tuesday would come, you could run to the record store and, and get the new record. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I do miss that. Now everything's yeah, I mean, instant. I, I, I had that same feeling when I was younger when I knew a, a new Kiss album was coming out. I'm like, yes. If I clean my room, could you take me to the mall? <laughs> you know, go to a record store, and, and yep. you know, I bought the new Ace Freely solo album. I was like, Yes. But yeah, now it's it's just you know, and even we're trying to spread it out. Where we we had the announcement of of signing the Megaforce, we're gonna have a um, the pre-sale pretty soon, and you get a you know a song uh, included early, right. and then you know then you do the artwork, and then it's the actual data that it comes out, and then after it comes out, it's kind of like very fast everything is really quick like you said it's like you know the magazines would come out a couple months later and you can expand your growth you know over time but now it's everything as soon as the album's out you got to do this you got to do that and it's you know the fact quicker it burns the quicker it burns out but that's just the way it is now i guess yeah absolutely Are, are you guys going on tour um we don't have anything lined up yet um, we're looking for uh, booking agents right now. Um, kind of handling everything myself, so it's you know it's kind of like a spare time weekend type thing, just trying to, to organize stuff. But you know, we might start it off with just doing some some local gigs in in Florida. Right. Nice. All right. So I've got a couple more if you don't mind me jumping in, Chris. Sure. No, please. So Bobby. Uh, yeah. I know you probably addressed this a million times, but name controversy. And I know I saw somewhere you were saying, you know, the band's name like Butcher Babies, stuff way worse. But how do you think that's affecting you at all? Or do you even care? Um, well, it, it affected us a little bit because I, I believe that that agency, because of that, didn't want to work with us, which is fine. But I just kind of find it a little hypocritical when you had bands that were similar. And it's like, you know, I don't want to badmouth anyone but then you know what they don't really know the music yet or what the band is they're just going off the name and to me that's being prejudiced you're judging the book by the cover you know and you you know if you spent any time around us you would see that it's it's tongue-in-cheek it's funny it's it's serious but it's not serious like i'm i'm 53 years old now I'm, you know i'm not trying to come up with some band name called blood gore <laughs> you know, it just sounds right. stupid for me at this point in my life. And I apologize if there's any band called Blood Gore. But, you know, I'm so offended. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know what? It was kind of like I, I didn't know the band was going to get this big. I wanted to kind of have a lighthearted name. It made us laugh. Um, I call my fans suckers. They're all right. suckers. You know, <laughs> it's so it's it's. It just doesn't need to be so serious. I mean, I, I didn't enjoy myself that much with the other band because everything was so serious. Right. And I just tried to keep it a little bit lighthearted. And, and you either love it and get it or you, you don't like it. So it, it doesn't bother me. I can't 
you know, I'm sure guys in the butthole surfers didn't worry that people right. didn't like their name, you know? It's like, if the music is good, then the band is good. I, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to put that much emphasis on the name. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to stick stick with it. And the more people, like, didn't like it, the more I liked it even more. Right. Because the more people kept talking about it. I mean, right. if I had some sort of vanilla name that no one cared about, you wouldn't even be asking me this question. Sure. You know, so... It's okay. it's kind of doing what I wanted it to do. All right. So doing a little more research and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you did the voice for Ellison's book. Is that true? Yeah, I'm going to record it this weekend. He asked me about a year ago, uh, him and his partner, uh, Thom, asked me um, if I had pictures and started with pictures. And I had a bunch from the old days when I went and visited him in California. And then uh, he said, you know, why don't you talk to Thom and give him a couple of quotes or, you know, something you remember. So I just kind of rattled off some stuff on the phone and they actually included all of it in the book. He sent it to, to me already. So I'm going to I'm just going to I guess he's getting everyone who there's a lot of quotes. So he's going to have people read their own quotes, um, whoever they were. So, yeah, I'm going to record it for them, I guess, this weekend and send it out. He needs it by next Friday. Nice. That's pretty uh, cool. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool you kept in touch with uh, all those people as well. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them here and here and there, and you know they're all busy and doing their own thing, and you know a lot of these guys have families now and stuff, so you know we're not running around raging like we used to. Right. But, um, okay, so the last one I've got, and then I don't know what Chris has, but going to a Satan's Taint show, you, we talked about you have all the old school fans, but it's got to be pretty cool because. A lot of them, probably like me, if you were playing here, are going to bring their kids. So you're getting introduced to a whole new generation of. That's got to be pretty cool feeling, right? Yeah. Wow. I never even really thought about it that way. But yeah, it would be nice if they can get, get the kids to come to the shows too. I mean, uh, everyone's got. My singer just had a kid. One of the guitar players I play with just had a kid. My drummer's got two. So it's yeah. I guess it's at that age where they're they're coming around and. And bringing uh bringing the young ones, hopefully they'll get into the metal too. <laughs> yeah, you got the multi generational thing because I know I make it a point to take my son to you know go see Slayer and see some of the bands that I grew up with that are still around. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an experience. I mean I saw Slayer play down here a couple of weeks ago, and like you know I just reminiscing about when we used to play, and I'm looking, you know they're playing the big outdoor yeah. arena here, and I'm like. You know, maybe it was took them thirty years and a farewell tour, but at least they've got the audience that they deserved after all these years, and and the sh the show was just great. Right? Oh yeah, it was fantastic. I was there. Chris, you, yeah, you were there with us. <laughs> yeah, that was killer. That was, to be honest, that was one of the first times I'd ever heard Slayer. Like I knew a few of their songs, but I hadn't really, you know, because I'm kind of new to metal. I grew up on hair metal, you know, mm -hmm. which is like Motley yeah. Crue and Poison and and stuff be careful you know, well, we, had, we had to open for them back in the day where it's like <laughs> if they didn't like you they would throw stuff on you you know how hard it is <laughs> to open up for slayer on the rain and blood album oh god yeah Man. you know people are right in your face it's like you better be freaking good <laughs> <laughs> slayer fans have a reputation for being a bit rowdy perfect i have nothing else chris i have nothing else but thanks for the contribution you made to metal man it, it's Hell fucking, yeah. It's fucking amazing. And thank you for sticking with me all these years, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time, brother. Good luck with the record. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. All right. Later. Cheers. Later. Bye. Who out there?
Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>